Hi, this is Brad. This is the Agile Uprising podcast, and we're working our way through the 12 days of Agile. Congratulations. We're almost all the way through. We're at the penultimate level of the podcast, the self-organizing teams, principle number 11. Now, this was an absolutely great conversation for me to come back to because it's still very, very timely, and it still is all about finding the right balance between self-organizing and how we create self-organizing teams. Now, one of the things that I've always noticed over the years is that for self-organizing to work, there needs to be some bumper lanes, but there also needs to be other preconditions which our host really explore well. When it comes to self-organizing, the one big thing that is taken away by all the hosts is that trust is the center of everything. So what we're doing is when we're letting teams self-organize, we're saying that we understand that the people that are creating the work understand the work and understand what needs to be done and that by trusting them we're going to get the best outcomes. We're looking at emergent behavior, we're looking at emergent design and really finding the way forward that works best for everybody and all concerned. That in order to minimize waste, the teams will need to be able to avoid handoffs and this is where creating things and self-organizing and figuring out the way to go forward is so important. It was a great episode. Sit back, relax, and really enjoy the show. This is Heidi Helf, and you're listening to the Agile Uprising podcast. On the 11th day of Christmas, my true love gave to me 11 pipers piping, 10 lords a-leaping, 5 ladies dancing, 8 nades a-milking, 7 swans a-swimming, 6 geese a-laying, 5 golden rings. Four calling boys, three French and two turtle doves, and a partridge in a pear tree. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Agile Uprising podcast. I am your MC, Paul Elia, and I have with me Colleen Johnson and Hello. Andy Clough. Hi there. And this is our Christmas special, the Agile Manifesto 12 Principles series, and we're coming at you with principle number 11. The best architectures, requirements, and designs emerge from self-organizing teams. Colleen, I'm going to start with you. What does this bring for you? Um, I think that the, when I think of self-organizing teams having the ability to put their best um, design, architecture, and requirements forward, that means making sure that they're involved from the very beginning. And this can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different organizations. Um, when I think of that, I think of story mapping um, and getting involved in having that really cohesive, big picture vision of where we're headed with the overall um, initiative or project. Um, I think it can be hard when we're only looking at the individual stories or the individual sprint goals to keep our eye on that big picture. Um, and it's really important for the team to start there so that they can come up with the best architectures, requirements, and designs. I want to yes end all of that. I like to, to look <laughs> at it and, and unpack it and, and talk about emergence. Colleen, you touched on bringing the team in up front, and that's, that's so elegant because we really don't know what we don't know. And, and breaking it down into stories that are just a hint of what we might do focuses light on that emergence. The other two pieces that I think are really critical are self-organizing. To me, that means there's a collective ownership by all the team members. They have all the skills necessary to take those ideas and actually produce an increment 
that's shippable. And the last piece is a team. Uh, if you look at any of the guides, it's at, it's at least two people and it could be more. It could be two pizza teams. It could be a full release train. Uh, but they are working together with the goal of building something valuable for their customers. Put it all together. Absolutely. Team, self-organizing emergence, you get the best solution. And I think some of that even starts, you know, we were talking about where you kind of start in the overall process here, but I think um, that can also come from bringing a problem to that team. Um, so they do get that chance to be creative and, um, you know, collaborate on coming to a solution for the problem together rather than just looking at individual requirements. Um, and I'm seeing, a, you know, a lot of teams and a lot of organizations really focusing on um, moving product more into that strategy type of role where they're really understanding what their customers need and what their users' problems are so that they can bring that problem to the team to solve rather than just bringing them those individual user hey, stories. Paul, can we flip this back to you and, and, and turn the clock back on how it used to be before Principle 11 was there? How did... You know, you and I both have enough gray hair. Oh, geez. That, you want that me to we go remember. back in the way, way back internet time machine? Hell, I predate what we call the internet. I started in the mainframe era. We used to be T-shaped from the beginning. We didn't specialize. I went to work for a company that did mainframe, Fortran. We actually did expert system type stuff. And believe it or not, I did AI. We didn't have this specialization like we, we went through like the 15 years later. It's kind of like the pendulum is now swinging back to wanting T-shaped people. We didn't call them that. I don't know where the hell that term came from. Don't care. I, I like the idea of it. I like pie-shaped people. So <laughs> self-organizing is kind of what we did. And maybe I was lucky. Maybe I got a great start because the team that I work with did pair programming, code reviews, regression tests that ran every day, but there wasn't any one of us that had the role of QA or DBA or Paul's the AI guy. I showed other people how to do what I did. So it was a cool environment to start in. And then what I think I witnessed 15 years later is we got really specialized to the point where I'm in an environment now where there are so many areas of specialization at the company. It has to be a scaled, agile flavor of some sort or another just to accommodate where we are today. It actually was better when I started. In, in the way back, right? In the way back. I, I think some of the intention or the backstory behind this principle is that middle ground that you talked about where there were specialists. There were the, the DBAs, the designers, the testers, the analysts. Architects. Uh, and the architects. Yeah. These people, uh, they were likely high paid and split over many projects Right. And they would hand stuff off. Handoffs, exactly. Handoffs. And, and, and very expensive people, typically, right? The more specialized you got. I'm not saying that a good generalist isn't expensive, but there aren't any handoffs. Well, right? I, or it's a lot of paired work. And our goal with, you know, I, I think Kanban tends to be in the spotlight when we talk about minimizing multitasking, but that's a lot of what we're trying to do with these self-organizing and cross-functional teams is um, make it so there aren't long running handoffs between teams or bottlenecks between those teams so that that whole team can be focused together on that deliverable. Um, and I think, you know, we that, that should be a goal for all of our, you know, all of our teams that we're not... Um, we don't have members that are off 
on different tangents because then they're then they are inherently multitasking against um, whatever our sprint objective is. And we know we've proven the math is there. Multitasking no good for anybody. Anybody that says that that you know the job descriptions you've all read them must be good at multitasking. <laughs> really? Okay. So yeah, you're, take, you're saying it's all messed up. <laughs> the other problem that that a lot of us saw was was those specialists uh, sort of flew in, gave the requirements, and flew out. Oh God! And I was one of those people, and I hated it because those those designs, because of all the handoffs and delays, they didn't always come to life because the market window closed before they could be executed. Yeah. And as an engineer. That sucks. That feeling of that, all that problem solving, those late nights of solving, you know, solutioning on, on something like this. And oops, sorry, time's up, money's out. We're on to do something else now. Oh. So you couldn't move quickly. We couldn't move quick enough. But we all got really good at ping pong. <laughs> Were you able to provide sufficient information that people could take what you, quote, specified and then run with it? Or is that the ping pong you're referring to? We did write down what it was that we intended to do. It was not the RUP era. That came later. That came maybe not even quite 10 years after I started. It wasn't far after I started. That's when all the, the, the paper came into play. But where I started, the company was 20 years old when I started. So they were a bunch of uh, power system engineers who knew how to write Fortran. Uh, there were some COBOL guys in there too for, for some of the reporting stuff. But we specialized on small teams that took care of particular product lines. We were product-focused, T-shaped teams. I really reflected on that. I, I've reflected on it my entire career. I really need to put a talk together on just that experience because I think people think mainframe and people that were working three decades ago, they must have done it wrong. We actually did it, did it really well. And we got lost along the way, in my opinion. And I think what the manifesto was for me in 2001, for somebody that was up to his eyeballs and paperwork for RUP, it was like, the Declaration of Independence for Software Engineers. Like, hell yes, you guys are making sense. <laughs> uh, let's stop all that in insanity. Did it free up your experimenting bones? Well, what I was doing before Snowbird was I had come up with, I thought I invented Spiral. I've told this story before on the podcast, so I'm not going to go deep on it, but it turns out somebody else had come up with that term and it was very similar. But the, I was already doing iterative development. I'd already learned the hard way that if you don't show users, customers, what you have in mind before you do it, and then if that's not good enough for them, it's too abstract, show them something that works, but it's not everything. Like it might not have all the test cases worked out. It's happy path, but you at least show them what, what the heck you got. Uh, if you don't do that frequently enough, you're liable to go down a rabbit hole. And I've rescued a lot of projects in my career where they were oblivious to the fact that they were, they were never going to complete. That comes back to the emergence principle, allowing the team to experiment, to learn, to demo, to have the power to iterate, to figure out what works, what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. 
Well, why don't you get, so you keep asking about my, my way in the past experiences and Andy, you've actually got me by a few years. <laughs> why don't you, <laughs> hey, I, you make me feel great. I'm not the oldest person uh, in the gang. So <laughs> for me, why don't you what's tell emerged, me about an early experience? For, for me, what's emerged over the years is the element of trust where we've, where we've moved away from as you described it, Rob, command and control. Here's what you're going to build. Here's the specifications. When you're done, we will come test it. We've let go of that illusion that we know exactly what we need because the best results emerge. And so without the element of trust in the team to come up with the best results, you're forced to produce what the specifications uh, recalled for when you knew as little as you knew so much, so little at the very beginning that it's, mm -hmm. that there's an element of absurdity there. Um, yeah. And I don't know if you guys have gotten this, the, the misinterpretation of agile. I actually got a little grumpy with somebody that seriously outranks me recently. Um, like C-suite asking for dates on something before I had approved people to join the initiative and i'm like you know at least back in waterfall days i knew how many resources i'd have and i would have done a work breakdown structure and a gantt chart before i was asked to answer that question but if i must <laughs> i will guess with you right here and now not knowing very much at all about what it is that we're going to do here without the people uh, being assured I think we should all uh, carry this interpretation. Don't you agile guys not need to do that kind of stuff anymore? <laughs> I, I keep a, a couple of set of dice in my pocket for that instance. You know, when are we going to be Some done? Dungeon like, and dragon, like hugely multifaceted dice. Exactly. There you go. What does that mean? Anything you like, you tell me. <laughs> Colleen, this self-organizing aspect is really interesting to me. And I know you've done scaled as well as um, team size. But I think in the larger organizations, we have to scale if we're going to meet the organization the way it's structured at, at the time we come upon them. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I, I, was, I would even say one of the things that, uh, you know, I tend to run into pretty frequently with, with organizations where you are joining an effort mid-project um, that, I, that I find kind of a repeated broken habit is that... Um, even when, uh, when we think we're doing scrum really well, um, whether you call them epics or initiatives or features, whatever your group of stories is, I know that's gotta be one of the most heavily contested, um, words in agile. Um, I, I tend to use epic for a group of stories that deliver user value. Um, but what we see a lot is that those epics get defined and then we add stories to them. Um, and they end up being very linear in fashion where um, Epic 1 has to be built before Epic 2 and then Epic 3. And, right. um, and I think that's another place where having having the team really help carve up that work in a way that makes sense for how they're building it and is connected to how they can deliver customer value incrementally is super important. And, and um, when we fail on that step... Um, then it makes it really hard for the team to be successful, no matter how great they're running their scrum practices at the team level, because the work just isn't broken down in a way that they can be successfully um, delivering value each time. And our goal is that, you know, that they're helping break that work down um, as a team, right? So we, we were talking about having that um, 
really kind of a collective understanding about um, everything that's required to deliver as a group. Um, that you know that starts with having the team really flush out those requirements together, um, rather than being being handed that big requirements document. Right, like we're I think we've all experienced that pain. There's a great quote I'm reminded of by General Patton: "Never tell people how to do things. Tell them what you want, and they'll surprise you with their ingenuity. You don't tell them go take that hill." by walking 10 paces left, 12 paces right, dig in. Uh, you tell them the, the, the goal. We want to produce this thing for this customer with this sort of value. When you break it down into these epics that you were talking about, you you reduce their ingenuity capability. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great quote for that. I like that we have in the community started talking more and more about agile outside of software. The, the manifesto does have its roots in software and I'm a software guy, but I do like that we're talking about more than that with agile. And so if we take the, tw- uh, the 11th principle rather, tweak it a little bit, we could say the best stuff or the best results emerge from self-organizing teams. Absolutely. We don't have to talk about architecture requirements, designs, and maybe we shouldn't talk about things like that, because it implies that we want those artifacts in some kind of sequence. At least it does to me, because I've seen it go in a sequence before. I'd rather say the best results emerge from self-organizing. It's almost teams. like the concepts we're seeing with um, the whole escape room thing that you can go do. I've never done one, but um, I, you know, I, I've worked with teams that have done them for team building and, and and oh, I've heard so, so many groups say that the minute you stop working together, it, like you fail. And and one of the teams I'm coaching right now actually had to be let out. Like <laughs> They never got out of the room on their own. And that's what they said. They said, we just stopped working together and stopped communicating. Everybody was doing their own thing. Um, and I think that's a great example of what you're talking about, Paul, that this extends into, you know, lots of, lots of areas where we're trying to problem solve and deliver a solution as a team. Exactly. I highly recommend the escape rooms. By the way, we did one recently, uh, and it's the only one I've ever done. We did fail, but we did not fail for lack of teamwork. We missed a uh, black Heideki box in a black stove. And without that key, we weren't going to get anywhere. And they give you hints on a television screen in the one that we do, but it just wasn't enough. We couldn't (laughs) find it. But it was not for lack of teamwork. Our teamwork was producing extraordinary results. And this was like, if we had had five more minutes and we could have found that one key, we could have done it. But I loved the teamwork that came out of that. Uh, there were people that, that I'm going to admit that I had judged from other things. And then when I saw their creative problems solving skills in a game, I had a whole new relationship with them the next day. Yeah, that's wonderful. It, it's not the best architectures, designs, requirements emerge from a bunch of people working in the same room independently. <laughs> right. It's that team. It's at That's least good. two people. And you could pair off in escape the room. But you're, you're working together in order to uh, create something that's valuable, i.e. get out of the room. Uh, in yeah. record time. I, I like, I want to go back to what you talked about, Paul, is uh, the concept that perhaps this principle, architectures, requirements, design, leads people into thinking there's that sequence. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and you know, I, I think it's important to note that the, the values were produced 
face-to-face collaboration, there was alignment to come to, to something very short and sweet that stood the test of time. The principles were done via email exchange, not face-to-face and probably not through the technology that we enjoy today, webcams and stuff like that, right? Odds are it was just email. That that was the the gist that I got from reading and listening to the, the to the Agile Uprising interviews that, that are quite recent with these fellows. That's going to produce a different result, I think, than face-to-face collaboration. I I agree. I wouldn't go down the path of rewriting it. That's not our uh, no. Our mission. No, we. But I think we all have agreed. They agreed. That's that's something I tip my hat to the seventeen is they've stood by. Occasional creak and slip here in recent years. I've seen a few, but social media is an, an unforgiving thing sometimes. But by and large, they've stuck by. We wouldn't have it any other way. We wouldn't rewrite it. Everybody was involved. Everybody participated equally. And that's that's good team attitude, right? Yeah, it's it's good enough for now. Read between the lines, read between the words. Sometimes it's those spaces. Uh, and again, it comes back to trust your team to to read this, understand the intent, and let them run with Definitely. it. Definitely, we're we're working with smart people. Point to the twelve principles. This is number eleven, and let them figure out what it means to them. If there is an executive out there that happens to pick up our podcast, right, or, or a listener that shares it, um, getting to the point of trusting your people is so important. It's what this is about, right? Take away the software aspects of it. Trust, trust your people to work together. This is, the, this is the kind of work, we use the word emerge here in this principle. This isn't paint a house, or do do work in an auto shop, even though I think that's a little harder. It does require some some complex problem solving skills. But paint a house or or do some landscaping or something like that is mostly labor. There's a way to do it, and it probably has a certain expectation of how quickly one could do that work if they were being careful and diligent and doing a quality job. Knowledge work isn't that. Absolutely. Right? And expecting people to come up with dates on scant information and to march and jump on command just isn't going to produce the results. The best results emerge from trusting your teams and letting them do like you would do in an escape room, problem solve together. Yeah, it's always fascinated me how much um, organizations spend on recruiting and hiring um, you know, smart, smart engineers, right? We put so much energy into that process for a great reason. And a lot of it comes down to company culture and building these high performing teams. Um, and then we get them all together and then tell them exactly what to do, um, which is really unfortunate. And, and <laughs> yeah. not just from a, yeah. you know, not just from a coming up with the best solution perspective, but also keeping, keeping people happy and engaged with what they're doing. Right. Nobody, nobody wants to stick around right. for that role. So you end up losing, losing super intelligent engineers that you spend all this time to hire because we're not giving them the space to be creative and come up with those solutions as a, as yeah, a group. Horrible. It doesn't do anything for retention. Uh, what's that Steve Jobs quote? Don't hire smart people and tell them what to do. Hire smart people so they can tell us what to do. Uh, That that emerges right from this principle, right? Yep. 
build yep. self-organizing teams, trust them, um, and and be amazed by what emerges. And allow it to be emergent. The the boss that I have today, he repeats, like he, he's trying to teach by repetition. We, we plan to have a plan, but I, I don't really care about the plan. I care that you do the planning. And he totally gets the emergent nature of things. If, if two days from now we have a new insight because we ran an experiment or we went and validated something um, and you want to change your mind about something you thought two days earlier, great, good job. It's not, that's not what you said two days ago. And that's a, a super, super great attitude to have if you, if you understand that this work is complex and we, we're not doing work that, is, that has been done before and there's a labor chart that goes with it. Exactly. Uh, it even gets worse in the old days. It, it was, you know, what you thought you wanted two months ago and now you've switched context 27 times and we're asking you questions about what you meant then. Oh, yeah, it's Rain Man. Shut up. He's answering a question that we asked 15 <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I uh, I tell you what, the the, uh, the good that's come from the manifesto and the principles is undeniable. Um, glad to have had them. I I do say my my coaching um, for all of them, not just this one. I do think we want to close soon here and close on um, what we'd like to lead people with on this one principle. But for, for me overall, understand their history. I can't recommend enough. Uh, the reason I am involved in this great group, Agile Uprising, is because of the Agile Manifesto uh, signatory uh, series. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. You're going to hear straight from so far 14 out of the 17 folks that got together and put this work together, uh, what they were thinking back then and understand the history. Don't just read this stuff and try to try to understand it on your own. The people that came up with it are, are have spoken and you get the opportunity to hear that at agileuprising.com. So check that out. Um, and then start thinking for yourself, right? But do understand where it came from. Beautiful. Andy, what about you? Well, you know, we're starting a tradition or, you know, we're, we're going to rewrite the song. We're not going to rewrite the principles. But on the 11th day of Christmas, uh, my true love gave to me 11 pipers piping. Colleen, on the 11th day of Agile, what did your coach give to you? Um, autonomy and trust. Mm -hmm. um, I think when we, I was joking before we started that I, it's allowing everyone to pipe up <laughs> rather than piping. <laughs> Um, but I think that's a big part of it, right? Giving everybody that opportunity to have a voice in this design process and discovery process before work begins. I love that. Piping up. Hey, Paul. Yeah. So uh, to distill again, I, I just love the attitude my, my boss Brian has right now about planning. And, and, and I wish um, that everyone out there could get that kind of support that, that uh, do the planning, do the thinking that comes with that planning. Um, but don't, don't beat people over the head about the plan. If you have better information later and change your mind, that's exactly what you should do. So if I could give a listener that it's, it's expect that from your team. And what, if your role is that you can give it to your team, do so. Love it. 
For me, on the 11th day of Agile, uh, Agile gave to me, I, I first wrote 11 coders coding, but that's that's not a fully cross-functional team that's too focused. It gave, <laughs> uh, gave me 11 cool people collaborating. How's that? Yeah. I'd sing it, but I'm Love it. deaf. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> no, really cool. Um, Andy, you've probably got our information for listeners. I just blabbed it out kind of briefly, but we got Twitter and stuff like that. Why don't you um, close this out? Sure, sure. Thank you all for tuning in to this 11th episode of the 12 Days of Agile. If you thoroughly enjoyed this episode as much as Paul, Colleen, and myself, give us a review, a rating, or leave some comments on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcasting platform you're using. Doing so really helps others find us. Uh, if this is your first time tuning in, listen to the 11. Stay tuned for the 12th. Subscribe. You'll get an update uh, typically once a week. And if you'd like to join our discussion, share your stories around uh, agile, mindfulness, craft beer, whatever tickles your fancy, join us on coalition.agileuprising.com. Until next time, this is the Agile Uprising Podcast, signing out. <laughs>